Hello, welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. Well, it seems that we're finally passing off the last bit of dregs in the winter season, not only seasonally moving into the much brighter and much more colorful semblance of spring, but the anime season itself is also bringing in its new fair share of not only returning colors, but new, unique pieces as well. I, for one, am basically making not only the transition in between the two, with the final pieces of my previous anime season finally coming in and yet just yesterday, but also this week I'm finally going to be able to take myself up to a trip on spring skiing, something that I haven't been able to do since basically the dredges of May 2019. So a bit of sloshy snow, a bit of warm weather, and hopefully it gets warm enough so the time that I actually get back up to the peak of the mountain, I'll be able to just survive in just a pair of snow pants and a short t-shirt. But that's beside the point. Anime-wise, the spring season is already underway, and as of this time, I would probably say that I've basically picked out the ones that I'm going to be able to give a bit of a chance and kind of see how it paves its own way. Not a lot of major surprises have come up, but considering how the majority of the seasons go, I would imagine at some point I'm either going to be dropping one of these and then picking up a random one as they end up getting traction, or in this case on the other one, losing it uh, partway through the season. Because at least for now... I've got the standard sequel fare in the form of Kaguya-sama's third season, as well as Komi-san's second season, but now we end up getting Spy Family's well-acclaimed and highly anticipated adaptation being done by Witten Cloverworks, but also a murder mystery time travel thing in the remnants of Summertime Render, but I've heard good things about it, and the only problem is, is that we are now going to have to deal with not only Netflix jail, but Disney Plus jail as well, so honestly... Take that as you will if you want to dive into the deep end and, and find a way to go through so we don't have to wait until Japan has been able to have its own fill throughout the entirety of the series while we just wait and render. Well, you know what? I'll be right down here in the deep end with you. And then besides that, we end up getting Diamon, which is kind of like a Usagi drop sort of father-daughter budding relationship sort of thing based on Japanese confectionery and sweets. So... At least at that point, I'm really going to have to be curious to see what the tertiary as well as the secondary characters bring to the table, because at this point, I think the main two are like really bare bones, or it's like personality X and relationship Y ends up like bringing them towards a more father-daughter relationship, and we've already seen this once before, so I'm kind of hoping that at least somebody inside of the secondary cast is going to be able to elevate the show and make it a little more interesting, because otherwise, if it's just going to be these main two, I'm probably not going to give it another two to three weeks or so. And then the biggest surprise to come out of the rest of it is probably the one that I only gave a shot, considering that Golf has definitely not been giving any sort of rendition or adaptation throughout the entirety of its run, but Birdie Bullet, for sure, has been giving me more than enough of a reason to kind of jump in and see how they end up pulling this out and make one of the, honestly, more boring spectator sports into something that's not only entertaining, but watchable. But now I guess there's not really as much news to talk about that has popped up over the past two weeks, considering that I guess the major two to bring up is that we finally end up getting a release date for Makoto Shinkai's new film, so Suzume no Tojimari is finally going to end up getting a Japanese release date of November 11th. So call it March or April of next year, we'll be able to go through and have the opportunity to go and give this a watch. As of his latest stuff, I mean, Your Name is arguably my favorite anime film of all time, but The Weathering With You was essentially just something that was a major drop-off and not only characters, but the story and the relationships that they try and end up forcing you to interact with, but it doesn't necessarily work as well as it did in your name. So 
I'm going to just go with cautious optimism because I do like the majority of Makoto Shinkai's works, but I'm definitely going to kind of see and hope that he'll be able to bounce back at least at this point with his new film, and I'm really curious to see how that's actually going to translate with not only domestic audiences, but international ones as well once it pops up towards our shores in 2023. Now, I will admit the bigger one that I want to talk about of a new work that ended up not only getting released within two weeks, or announced two weeks of its release, but now Tatsuki Fujimoto's Goodbye Airy One-Shot manga has now been officially licensed by Viz Media in English, even though it has now been released through the Shonen Jump Plus app internationally to give people an opportunity to go through and read this. And all I gotta say is you gotta read it. Tatsuki Fujimoto is the author of not only Fire Punch, but Chainsaw Man, who has now finally ended up getting a release date of fall of this year. So we're finally going to be able to, at the end of the year, kind of see how they're going to be able to adapt this and bring arguably one of the biggest and most popular series and long-awaited versions of an adaptation that people have been waiting to see. And judging on MAPPA's track record, even though we definitely know they don't have a good record of treating their employees well, we do know that their employees are incredibly passionate about the work that they do, and all of the majority of the works that they've done prior have definitely lived up to their expectations. And I'm really curious to see. But in the meantime, I would definitely go and give this a read, as well as his previous one-shot 140-page manga called Look Back, considering that that is a short story that he ended up putting out in July of last year, but now this one basically just cranked it up to 200 pages, even though there are a couple of pages that are have a few repeating scenes and frames. I still recommend that, regardless, just going into this blind, and I, I'm guarantee that you will not regret it, considering it has definitely been the first one-shot or the first manga that I read in a long time that really ended up getting a reaction out of me, kind of trying to figure out where essentially I would like to place it and how exactly I would understand and absorb it afterwards. And it's been a while since I've had a short manga, let alone any manga or book in general, make me feel or contemplate that way. So definitely go and take that opportunity and give it a watch. So now that I've gone through... So we covered the ones that I'm now going to be watching inside of Spring. It's now a good time for me to look back on a handful of the shows. Well, actually, not really a handful of shows. Surprisingly enough, Winter, I watched quite a bit in terms of that. Like, if we're going by individual series, even though a couple of them were left over from Fall 2021 season, there was still... I still ended up finishing bloody 10 series, which... To some is not enough, and to a few are like, how exactly are you able to do it? And honestly, one and a half to one point two times speed definitely like takes a lot of that burden off whenever you go through. Because I'm trying to think, yeah, like in 2021, I barely started watching anything, but it ended up being one of the biggest years in terms of the amount of shows that I watched, even though the majority of them were sequels. But now it's like, wow, at this point in time, I'm going to have more than enough opportunities to begin the year not only with a couple of sequels, but as well as a couple of originals that were at some points degrading and like really crawling to a slow pace and hard to get through, to ones that were like genuinely surprising and gave me more faith in some parts of the medium that I would have been able to shift off to others. But at least the ones that I can point out now, so these ones in particular, I did not end up watching all of it, so Case Study of Vanitas, I understand that the second season came out uh, in winter, but I still haven't seen the first. I've heard nothing but good things about it, even though it's not the most popular Bones show. Like, the majority of the crowd is, like, incredibly entertained and are really, like, giving it a good 
wrap for everything that it accomplishes towards like world building and thrill and thrill sense and drama and romance. So apparently I'll have to give it a shot at some point because I, I don't know if this one completed the story by the end of the season, but I'm just going to have to go back and figure out if I ever do go on a bit of a bones run. Princess Connect Redive Season 2, it's kind of the same deal where I heard like nobody has said anything negative about this show to anybody that's been getting into it. And I've seen a lot of good clips, a lot of good screenshots and a lot of good reviews from everybody that's going into it considering that even though it is a very like awkward like self-insert amnesia story that seems awkward it like the rest of the rest of the cast is more than enough charming to cover and cover its own bases and bring it back up to an elevated quality where kind of like Symphogear where not as many people watch it but wow does it like get the most out of everybody's reaction for sure. Akebi-chan's sailor uniform was also something that apparently was like, oh yeah, no, it like it's a nice tranquil slice of life. It got memed on considering that it was the toenail clippers in the first episode and that's the major thing that I brought away in the first half of it. But apparently by the second half when everybody is going through and making friends and having a good time, it was definitely one of the better parts of everybody's week who ended up to tune in and watch it. And finally, Worlds and Harem. I had to give it a, one episode just to see how raunchy and ridiculous it was, and to put in another person's words, even after I dropped it after episode one, it was apparently such an entertaining ride because it was so horribly defect and underwhelming as a romance, as a harem, as an etchy, as a world building, even as a porno. It doesn't live up to any kind of expectation that anybody went. And so there was a very small amount of people that still enjoyed it. But the fact that I'm honestly, I'm feeling like I'm giving it too much credit for even mentioning it at all. So just I can acknowledge that people, <laughs> that there were some people that were going through and it's like, you know what? It fails as an etchy, it fails as a romance, and it fails as a porno. So. It's one of those special bad shows that you can probably get a good laugh at going at like two times speed, but otherwise I'm probably never going to even remember it or touch it again. So I guess I'll go and start with the sequels that came through and were either leftovers from the fall season of the previous year or ones that ended up popping up this season that finally ended up uh, having its second run inside of the winter 2022. So I would say, <clears throat> unfortunately, the most underwhelming sequel out of all these was probably Loop On the Third Part 6, where it was fine. Some of the story episodes were fine. The standalone episodes were fine. It was just such a hard 5 or 6 out of 10 show, like, by comparison. I, I still think that part... Of the three modern Lupons, I do think that Part 4 is probably my favorite, with Part 5 very close behind, but Part 6 is unfortunately something that really seems like they're trying to continuously keep the legacy going, but they're finally, like, running out of gas and falling short, so I would still give, like, part four a watch, considering that even though you haven't, like me, I have not jumped into the over 200 episodes of Lupin the Third between part one, and one, two, and three, as well as the over a dozen Lupin the Third films that have essentially popped up over the past 40 years, it's still a bit of a pick and choose, but if there was ever a place for you to get into the Lupin series, I would either, by series, I would get part four to be the one at the top, and if you wanted a movie to go through, then I would definitely go and watch Hayao Miyazaki's Castle of Cagliostro. Like, that is definitely, like, some of the easiest, like, entry points to this franchise, and I would give both of those a glowing recommendation, but unfortunately, 
Little Hope Part 6 didn't really live up to its predecessors, and it kind of just fell flat towards the end of its run. Even though, so completely disregarding Mugen Train and just focusing on the entertainment district as a whole, there was a lot of up and down about uh, Demon Slayer's quote-unquote, like, like, I don't know what they're called, a third season or a third art. Like, I'm just, I'm probably just going to call it the second season. Like, if you, if you decide to, like, what the show decided to do, just put in the Mugen Train movie as, like, I believe six episodes with a episode one basically beginning just before the movie starts with... Ren Goku like doing a mission and then getting on the train and giving you like another introduction to him and then I think there was I can't like I literally can't remember because it ended so early is that there was either 10 or 11 more episodes that focused on the entertainment district arc that happened after uh the Mugen train arc and it was such a whiplash up and down sort of deal where when they finally got to the fights there was legitimate cause for hype with the new Hashiro, whose name that I can't even remember, so Sound Guy might just be the best. So, I mean, at least there was less Zenitsu. Like, Inosuke was a more prominent um, entertainment district worker than Zenitsu was, so at least we got to look at Boar Boy a little more. There was not really a lot, like, whenever they were doing surveillance and going through, there wasn't enough comedy to offset whatever drama. I would say the biggest disappointment of the entirety of the entertainment arc was basically how they treated the main upper six demon that was voiced by Miyuki Sawashiro, who was somebody who felt deeply in control of everything that she has done in order to not only uh, just grip her tendrils into every nook and cranny of the entertainment district, but also somehow become one of the more prominent entertainment figures, as well as be one of the most important figureheads of the entire district, but still hiding the fact that she's a demon and has been around there for several decades. She was threatening, she was malicious, she was cunning, she had every single possible way to kind of go through and figure out how she would be able to control such a major player without having to rely on much else but her and her own Obi. And she was threatening as all hell, especially with what Sawashiro was able to bring to the table, considering that not only is she able to pull off sexy and having a dominant personality, but then also be threatening and malicious and cunning, as well as someone who is utterly just scary in all semblances of the word. By the time they get to the fight and they beat her for the first time, she becomes this whining, effervescent, just sibling and squealing child. All of the malice, all of the threatening aura that she was able to push towards like six episodes of content just flew out the window. And she was no, and like I said before, no threatening, no more threatening than a child. And she just lost her shit and became so just such a piss poor antagonist for the rest of the fight, which is unfortunate because it ends up getting passed on to somebody else. But like, wow, they just fucking like, oh, yeah, no, I'll write her good. I'll make her malicious and I'll make her terrifying. But nah, at the end of the day, she's a woman. So it's like she can't necessarily hold that much power by herself. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You're literally just going to pull the rug from not only under her, but under everybody else to believe that she was actually the one in control, that she was the one that was heading the entirety of this district. But it's like, no, it's not just her. She wouldn't be able to do this by herself. Muzan wouldn't. 
Muzon would never trust any of his upper six enough to believe that she would be able to do it on her own. And it's like, oh, for fuck's sake, dude, are you kidding me? You're really just going to throw that, like, little bomb in there to make sure that she was never the one in control, that she was never threatening, that she was never the one that absolutely had every fucking main character in the series by the balls and that they could do nothing to stop her. No, nah, she's now nah, she's just mentally weak. And she can get one shot by Hashira. It's like <sighs> Well, one step forward, two steps back, I guess. Christ. I will admit that the ending fight definitely comes close to I don't even remember the episode anymore. I can't remember if it's episode 19 or episode 22 in the first season where it was the episode that broke the internet, broke Twitter, broke everything. I would say this is damn near close to that, if not better. Uh, I just don't really know where to put it, because there's only, like, three major fights that you could, like, put up inside the upper echelon so far inside of Demon Slayer's one, which would be the final fight of the Entertainment District, the fight between Rengoku and just uh, the episode 19 or 22, like, spider fight. Like, that's basically the top three at this point, but the fact that they're able to get that within an average of like once every 12 episodes, doesn't mean that the action in between all those is definitely is lacking either. Because if there's one thing that I can give Demon Slayer is that its action is consistent with even higher highs and like rarely any lows to see inside of like any part of its production because that's what Ephotable does. They acquire and produce an exceptional amount of polish to all the works that they end up going through with their uh, 3D compositing and all the assets that they've been able to hone and tone throughout the rest of their careers. But... I mean, that's what they do. They're, they do an exceptional job at whatever project that they've been poised to do, and Demon Slayer is no exception. So, it's Demon Slayer. I'm still going to keep it moving forward. I still think it's like a high 6, low 7, because the only... I still do not care for any of the characters, but the production as well as the action is definitely something for a shonen to be well above average than the majority of its predecessors. So, that's basically the only major positive thing I can give it. But, yeah, no, at this point in time, I'll, like, it's like, okay, I'll watch, what is it, the Swordsmith, Sword Village, something or other, uh, I, I, which I believe is coming out in 2023, I think, because they've got to have, like, at some point, uh, a bit of a break between the rest of it, so, uh, yeah, I'll kind of just let that go and see what happens once the next one comes up. Attack on Titan Season 4 Part 2. The final season, part two, Electric Boogaloo, which now we know is going to be part two of a three-part final season instead of, like, you know, season four, five, six, like, maybe regular numbers, but it's like, oh my god, just poor fucking MAPPA. I don't know if their marketing is genius or something that needs to be like, dude, you need to know what numbers mean. You can't just do, like, season three, part one, part two, final season, parts one, two, final, final. And you can't just go all Gintama on your, uh, on your final parts of a season. But I'm glad that we know that we've been given more than enough time, and we know that with this extra third part that they're going to be able to have towards finally making the ending of the final season, I'm still going to be waiting with bated breath because it is something that I was anticipating the most every week out of this season, so I'm really curious to see how that moves forward. I would say this part was slightly better than the first part of part four, but it's like still really high up there, like incredibly compelling television that is not on the same levels as season three, but still damn close 
even with all the expectations being thrown on Mappa's shoulders for finishing off this series right. Even though, from every nook and cranny, they're saying that the ending was controversial, they have the time, they have the effort, they have the consulting with the previous mangaka in order to try and figure out a good middle ground to see if they should go with the original or if they should actually like work around and tinker with it because they've now got more time. I don't know. Um, but there were a lot of huge revelations that happened in this second part, and it was bonkers. It was absolutely insane, like, on some of the set pieces and some of the grand revelations that were, like, taking place throughout everything that's going through. Unfortunately, the people who decided to, between parts one and two, decided to rewatch the entire thing so they would be able to make sense and, like, understand what's going on, I'm sorry, but now, apparently... Because what I ended up doing was between the gaps of seasons three and four, that's when I went back and rewatched the entirety of it just to kind of like catch up and see what happened over the past six years. <laughs> Except now, you would think that between parts one and two, that would probably be the best point. It's like, wrong. The best time was definitely, is like now this third part of the final season that's going to go through. So call it <laughs> Attack on Titan season six instead. I don't know. Regardless of how they've been able to space out these parts of these past two seasons, I still think that it is incredibly engaging and like thought-provoking for the rest of it, and I'm really excited to see what they're able to pull off in the final, final, final season of this show. So now, except if I had to pick my favorite, um, like arguably my favorite of the season and my favorite sequel, would have been the second part of Ranking of Kings. Even though... The ending seemed a bit quick, and there's a little bit more content for it to ever be picked back up, so it's not an ultimate, just, storybook ending. You can almost treat it as such. Like, it is, there is still enough of a fairy tale essence inside of this story that, even if Studio Wit never made a second season, I would still be hella satisfied with what these 24 episodes were able to accomplish and just convert into this one story about Boji and everybody surrounding him. And now not only does he go and grow on his own journey, but helps grow everybody around him by proxy. The production, the storytelling, the character writing, the world building, just everything about this show shines to such a greater degree than the majority of anime that have been coming out over the past couple of years, where it's just so adept at what it does in terms of not only the world and the characters that it that inhabit it, but also just how well the relationships that you make with these characters grow over the course of the series. And when each of them gets their own moment, you are able to stand as triumphantly as they are in the midst of their success. And it is just such an amazing series. Russell and I have gotten our buddy Aaron to watch it, and he seemed incredibly interested after the first two episodes. So if anybody is looking for anything not really anime-esque to kind of go through. Something a little different. Something like fantasy, however. Like like I said before, like in my previous like top anime of the twenty of twenty twenty one, the reason why this show also resonated so much with me as an anime fan is that it was a fantasy story that stood on its own murals and did not have to worry about being an isekai or anything related to the genre. That this proves that you can basically go back and make a pure Tolkien-esque fantasy medieval epic. It's just, it does every single job amazingly, whether it's the production, whether it's the fights, whether it's the character interactions, whether how the story is able to spread them all out and bring all the characters back in together again. 
God, it was just amazing, dude. I, I absolutely adored it. So I guess, so there's the sequels. Now I guess I'll get through the ones that were original. And these ones, I would imagine some of these are going to be getting uh, sequels in the future. But for now, the ones that ended up going through and finishing up this season. So at the bottom, probably Tokyo 24. It was, I knew it was jank. Not only because it's done by Cloverworks and their original projects that are kind of like at the bottom because there was Akebi and there was um, another show that we'll get to later that it was the third child of this studio's like bit and it was also an original. So you knew that at some... Because there was already production issues within the first two episodes. Not, not that it was showing in the first two episodes, but there were like tweets and rumblings about about how this show was already behind by the time it already started airing that some episodes were not even close to completion like it was so ridiculous how much of a grind and it and it's tragic because it wasn't even like it was good in the first two to three episodes and then it never really picked itself back up from the rest of it because the show was so good in the first episode that it was bonkers it was it did not take itself too seriously. It was so balls to the wall and just off the wall and <laughs> balls bouncing everywhere that you couldn't necessarily like keep up with its energy. And it was so ridiculous and over the top that it was like, you know what? If the show decides to commit to this kind of tone with this like basic trolley problem set up with a superhero, a bureaucrat, and a super hacker, like I'm really curious to see how they pull that out. And unfortunately, they tried to go too serious and too sincere in its storytelling that when it, by the time the production issues finally started rearing their, its ugly head, it was like, I don't know, like, because I don't care. They're not going crazy enough. They're trying to focus on character relationships and making you care about everything that's happening and, like, really, like, hoping for the dead man's wife and the dead childhood friend. And it's like, this is so sad, guys. It's like, like, why can't we focus on the character drama and the rest of it? It's like, no, the character drama was not why I started watching you. It was literally because of how fucking crazy and insane your concept of, like, a modern-day superhero would be. But it never really picked itself back up. So, unfortunately, like, of all... This was probably the most disappointing of the shows that I completed throughout the entire season, so I just hope that Cloverworks can pick themselves back up and do another original project someday, because I really feel like at some point they will finally strike gold and have the talent, but to be fair, the rest of the adaptations that they've been doing have definitely been up to snuff, so at least they've got that to fall back on. I think Hakozume, or uh, Police Pod, was something that really only got me because we were focusing on characters in their 20s and their 30s where it was definitely one of those where even though it were it was japanese cops going in between the japanese municipality and police system there wasn't really much else that the show brought to the table unfortunately so it was kind of unfortunate that they were able to go through and not keep everybody as entertained as it was like they tried to make it zany they tried to make it go through and entertaining for the rest of the watch, but it didn't necessarily live up to a lot of the stuff that it ended up going to actually try and finish up on. It did try, and like the comedy was good in the majority of the time. I really liked it. It's just that it was hit and miss with a bit of the more serious and dramatic uh, plot points that they and story beats and stories that they just started to go in and introduce. 
So I would say it was hit and miss. It was an interesting slice of life slash drama show that actually featured working adults, which is definitely something that you don't really get a lot in animes. But unfortunately, I don't think it was enough to keep it interesting. But at least for the for the majority of it, it was entertaining. So I don't regret watching it, but it's definitely something that I'm probably not going to recommend and I'm not going to come back to anytime soon. The most interesting show out of all of these for sure to come out came out on Netflix done by the creator, which I'm pretty sure I talked about a couple of times through news, the creator of Denocoil, which is arguably one of my favorite sci-fi shows and sci-fi anime in general, about, you know, kids who were born on the moon and how they're going to have to work to interact and grow back up on planet Earth and how their bodies will accustom it and how and how not only their hacking skills will be able to go through and help save the day in the midst of a space station that is now being occupied by you know earthling tourists it was it was definitely weird like i was i was really curious to see how the rest of the show would go out and all the ideas that it decided to show were promising i would say it just wasn't as entertaining or it didn't really follow through on its because because the majority of the stuff that the show ended up trying to go is like such like literal ninth dimension thinking that it like even though the problem that they tried to solve was so simple not not really simple in practice but just simple in in theory and execution that it's like no well i'm thinking in the ninth dimension but in order for me to go through and process this i'm gonna have to like tone it down and try and make sure that everything around this story will actually be able to go through and make sense in the end and by the end i think it did a good enough job like bringing through the characters it's just that not a lot of them were interesting it was mostly because the the main character was probably had the most interesting conundrum that he had to go through and fix it's just that the rest of the characters didn't really live up to the rest of what he was able to go through and accomplish and definitely wasn't as interesting as the main set like i can't even call it a main duo because the un hacker wasn't really interesting he was just a good good boy that wanted to follow the rules but he's going to have to break the rules at some point in order to make the right decision i mean the girl that the boy since the both of them grew up on the moon they were both born on the moon and they needed implants in order to survive she's not really that it's it's not that i would say she's not important it's just that she's not interesting at all it's basically she's very undertone she's very sad very mopey um doesn't speak a lot but she's the conduit to get in contact with whatever life form is um, interfering with the spaceship not the spaceship the space station that they're on and if they're going to make it home safely i don't know it's if you are interested in theoretical physics and space travel, that would probably be the only major way that I would recommend this to somebody else. But if I had to choose between the two, I would definitely say go watch Denocoil by comparison. Considering that a pre-internet AR vision of the future that it decides to incorporate by comparison to this is definitely more than enough down-to-earth and believable for us to kind of understand not only well not only understand but to also empathize with the people that are essentially going through the story and there are many more characters inside of deno coil that are a lot more interesting by comparison if and not just one person inside of the Orb orbital children <clears throat> so i would have been able to get this episode out or at least record it a little earlier if not for the fact that ryman's club literally ended yesterday considering that it started way late into the season and by the time that some series have their second and third episode already out in the spring season like ryman's club just ended up finishing up this week as a 
badminton show, it is definitely leagues above what um, Hanebato decided to come out with uh, a couple of years ago. Because Hanebato had great, uh, like, badminton production as well as uh, matches. But the character writing, interactions, and dynamics were so fucking wonky and obnoxious and just was not realistic at all that it was interesting by the time you got to the end of it. But, like, the mom is probably one of the worst written characters I have ever, like, seen inside of an anime. And so even though I stayed Hanibato to watch Hanibato for the matches, it was just that everything revolving around the matches was just so superficial and garbage that I could only laugh at it by the time it ended. Ryman's Club definitely seems odd, considering, or not as interesting, because it's like, oh, it's salarymen, but at least it's working adults, either between their low 20s to their early 30s. And they're basically a beverage sales company that also has a lot of corporate backing and interest in their badminton team. And we get this young kid, this young, not really prodigy or talented, but he is definitely up there, especially with the superpower that he has with premonition. But the way he's able to interact and finally open himself up to his past trauma, as well as how he's able to incorporate himself into the badminton team, is definitely one of the better character interactions and teams and groups that I've seen this season. Especially considering that everybody inside the badminton team gets their own time to shine. Like, I definitely, outside of the main duo, like, probably the dad is arguably, like, my favorite of the bunch, if not the coach. Uh, but the coach himself doesn't really have the opportunity to uh, get too much of a deep backstory. So, um, I don't know. It's just that everybody inside this badminton team, even though the badminton matches aren't as good as, like, production-wise as Hanebato, which is a really tall wall to climb, all of the matches themselves are serviceable to not only, like, get you invested and get hype, but because I was interested into how the characters were going to interact, even though some conflicts were very, like, maniacal villain laughter-esque, like, forced conflicts, they were still more than good enough to kind of, like, drive it forward and actually give more than enough of a reason for the characters to fight back, and I definitely appreciated how those guys were able to bond, not only as a team, but as friends that were able to go through and move forward. So, I don't think I would recommend it, like, really highly on, like, the sports totem pole, because it would probably be more slice of life than sports anyways, but it was still well enough to kind of, like, work through and did more than enough good inside of its run than most could, than most sports shows do in terms of their characters. So, at least I can give it that. So, the most talked about, I believe it was the most popular show of the previous uh, season, besides Attack on Titan and Demon Slayer, now that I figured that out. So, call it the first season, the most popular first season of this <laughs> season was definitely... Uh, Dress Up Darling, or Sono Bisque Doll. Uh, and so I'm pretty sure I talked about it at the, uh, like the, at the beginning of my winter 2022, like, look around where it's like, okay, well, this show is so much hornier than I remember it being, even though I picked up this manga, like, back in 2018, but... I went back and looked at it, and it's like, oh yeah, no, this was definitely, the manga was just as horny as it was back when it was first released in its magazine, and that was probably one of the main reasons why I stuck around. <sighs> Come on, buddy. But what it was able to do and expand upon that kind of relationship as well as the product and the production that the show was able to go through in its adaptation definitely added to the source material a lot more than I would have expected, especially with, with the relationships and how, like, well Marin is able to, like, 
like give that extra energetic like gleam and push that you're only able to get inside of an anime adaptation of like any kind of manga or any kind of comic. And so her and Gojo were definitely a delight to be on screen like when they were going through it because it's like no like these two are definitely like dating you, you can you can argue that they haven't necessarily gone through but it's like oh yeah no these two are like one of the are currently like the top power couple of the entire year and they are going to be a very very hard wall to climb for anybody else that's going to be coming up by the end of the year they definitely pulled out all the stops in specific episodes that I thought I thought the episode the show was not going to end on episode 11 but based on where the story was going I would think okay so the Love Hotel is going to be episode 12. That's what I thought it was going to be. And so the, the fact that they were still able to get a really good falling action episode 12 going out to the festival was definitely like a really good just de-elevation and like calming down of everything that happened in episode 11. If I had to give a scene that... Like if you had to provide a scene that defines sexual tension... Episode 11 is going to be just the definition, like, moving forward. Like, of course, there's etchy anime. There's slice-of-life stuff that gets a little raunchy and goes through. If you want to understand what sexual tension is inside of anime and you need to figure out how to describe that, it is literally just almost all of episode 11, especially once it gets towards the end. And I would imagine that was a lot of, that was one of the major highlights and one of the many highlights towards a lot of people who ended up finally giving the show a watch and are currently reading the manga as we speak. But I would still say that the relationship that they were able to create between Marin and Gojo and like give them more than enough of a reason for them to not only be interested in each other, but be interested in each other's passions to give them a much better way and a much better understanding for them to become closer together as people. And that is the reason why I kept on reading this manga. That is the reason why I stuck around, and that is one of the major reasons why I thought people would be would be enjoy this to the degree that they did. I also understand that there were other reasons why people would have enjoyed this show, but to me, that's kind of where I stood out. And definitely, like, I understand repeating, Gojo and Marin are currently the best couple of the year, even though we're only a season in, and even only though through a small sample size, that they are currently the ones to beat by the end of the year, and I'm really curious and hopeful that we'll be able to see somebody match their chemistry and match their relationship by the end of the year. Now, the easiest show that gave me the most enjoyment and entertainment throughout this entire season, easily, from the new seasonals, would have been Sabikui Disco. And... I think I did point it out in the episode that I did way back with Pretty Fly for a Senpai, but it's the it's what Tokyo 24 did where it set its tone and its crazy world at you in the first episode, but in the case of Sabikui Bisco, it did not stop running. It just kept on moving forward and forward and forward and got crazier and crazier and crazier. It did have some good like character moments and some good downtime in between to kind of like flesh out how the rest of the characters are going to interact inside of this hellish, rust-filled world, but what they were able to do with the rest of it, like, building up, was easily, like, one of the best worlds and one of the, the more entertaining experiences that I had throughout the entirety of the season. I will admit, the second half definitely slows to some degree. Like, it's it still has a lot of Okay, I say good action, like the results of the action are good. It's just the way that they execute and how stale and point A to point B the action is in the middle of all these fights, in the middle of all these conflicts, where it's just the voice acting carries it, but none of the action does. 
And so it's basically like, okay, well, this sad thing is going to happen, and this like righteous and kick-ass thing is going to happen. But the way that they choose to animate it, and the way that they choose to like get from point A to B, it was probably one of the weakest directed shows that I finished this season, but it was easily the most entertaining. And so I would definitely recommend following the <laughs> following the show's mantra, grab some shrooms, and definitely give it a bit of an enjoyment and a second watch, because that will definitely, I could only imagine, add to the experience that it was towards the end of this season. So now I guess I'm going to have to go through, do this quickly, and get myself back up on the mountain, so I'll actually be able to go through and enjoy the last couple of days of the season before we're going into spring, allergies, and... M- essentially the precursor of the heat that I know is going to be popping up in a couple of months. So, I mean, I do like the shoulder seasons, spring and fall, a bit more, considering that the temperature, at least on the West Coast, is so mid, and it's such a good middle ground that it's definitely one where not only am I good with sitting inside, but I'm also good with either running or going out and doing activities and basically able to manage everything around it without being too cold or too hot. Like, it is the perfect middle ground for the rest of it, and I'm going to at least go out now and figure out what I'm going to be able to do to not only experience the sun on the peaks, but also the snow and the slush. So, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>